holidays. You know, you know, holidays are great. You got time off. Then you try to fill the time. If you got kids and you're trying to constantly figure out entertainment, things to do for them to keep them engaged. And I've been trying to get my little one to read. He's eight. I want him to read more. And so I try to find things, you know, that he likes. And he likes, uh, he likes Spider-Man. I thought, well, there's a comic book show and yesterday. And so I spent yesterday at a comic book show. Anybody ever here been to a comic book show? Ever? Yeah, I didn't think anybody would have the courage to go and announce that publicly <laughs> in this space. I, I went yesterday to my first comic book show. Wow. Um, you ever see that scene in Star Wars? And they're like in the tavern and like nobody's human? Okay, that's what it was like. And I was not in costume. I just went in like regular guy clothes, huge mistake. And I get there, and we're, I don't know the, you know the vibe of the comic book show, so we're working our way around. And my goal is just to get some comics that my little boy will read. And we found this guy, and I'm asking him questions about comics, and my little boy's all fired up. And he likes the Spider-Man, but he also likes this guy named Iron Fist. He's like a kung fu guy, beats up the bad guys with kung fu. And so I thought, well, if we're going to get comics, we're going to get good comics, right? We're not just getting the junkers. We're getting the good ones. And so I wanted a rare comic. Said, Give me the best Iron Fist you got. He said, oh, boy, this is good. I got this. And he had a rare one. It's a number one. And as it turns out, the earlier and the, the older the comics, you know, the more valuable. And the closer you get to number one, the more valuable. So this was not just a good comic, but this was extraordinarily rare. And it was number one, mint condition, and it had been signed by somebody, which made it a one-of-a-kind, only, you can't get this anywhere else on the planet Earth, this is the only one, and I don't know if that's true, but the guy that sold it to me was dressed up like Chewbacca, so he's very credible, um, <laughs> very credible, and I got it, I said, I'm getting that, so we got a bunch of others, but we got that one, and we took it home, and I'm so excited, but what I discovered was it's so rare, and so valuable, that we didn't really know what to do with it. And so it was all in its protected case, and I got like Fort Knox around it. You know, it's number one, it's signed, don't touch it, and it's up there. And then I go to run some errands, and I come back, and my little boy not only has the comic book, and the pages are not only open, but he has propped up a uh, Powerade on top of it. He's using it as a coaster. And this thing was expensive now, and I'm thinking it's rare, and it's valuable, and, and so we, we should lock it up under lock and key and protect its value forever and ever and ever. But no, he just opened it up, and then I said, don't do that. It's valuable. Put it up. And Ashley said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, you know, why'd you buy the comic in the first place? It's to read. It's for him to read and to have fun with and to use as a coaster if he so chooses. And so I thought, as I was sitting there, this creates a tension about something that's valuable that I'm not sure we can resolve. Because if something is so rare and so valuable, priceless, it creates a tension about how to handle it. And I did not know what to do. Do you read it or do you lock it up? And there were two different poles. And what I discovered was this is the same kind of tension that exists when we start to deal with time. Because if you think about time, time is so valuable, so rare. There's nothing else in the world like it. God has given us this incredible gift of time that's so valuable. And we forget it's the rarest of all commodities. You cannot buy it. That's how rare it is. You cannot steal it. That's how rare it is. You cannot trade for it. You cannot barter for it. You cannot exchange it. You can't store it up. That's how rare and valuable it is. 
But even though it's rare and valuable, it creates in us a tension and some polar opposites about how we deal with it. And I'm not sure they can be reconciled. For example, sometimes time seems like it's really, really slow. And it just, the days go on forever and ever and ever. And you know, this day will never pass. And then some days it seems like time just races by. Well, which is it? And the Bible tells us a lot about how quickly time goes by, and it tells us about these two poles. Um, in, in the book of Job, I'll just start with some uplifting words from the book of Job. Uh, in the seventh chapter of Job, listen to what Job says about the nature of time. Job says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. I mean, how you fired up you came to church today. That's good. Look at that. They come to an end without hope. They go so fast, nothing to account for. They evaporate, and they just go by like that. And Job didn't let off on that notion. He goes on two chapters later. He says this, another word picture. My days are swifter than a runner. That's how fast they are. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. They're so fast. But you can turn to Psalms, and you can see what David says about time. And David says the opposite. He says, oh, how long, Lord? I mean, how long am I going to have to wait? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, for David, you know, time seems like the days can just go on forever. They're interminable. And this whole notion of patience and how long do I have to wait and the minutes seem like hours and the hours seem like days and the days seem like years. And you know this. This isn't just biblical. You've lived this because Christmas, if you're young, remember when you were young? Wow, it seemed like Christmas it never came. It never came. And when one came and passed, like the week we're in now, you're like, oh, it's going to be so long until the next Christmas, right? But when you're old, it's like Christmas comes every other week, and you think, we, we, just, we, just, we, just had, we just put the tree up. We just put the tree up, and you got to get it back out, and it's just like that. So sometimes it seems like time goes by really, really fast, and sometimes really, really slow. Those are, that's a tension that I'm not sure can ever be fully resolved. There's another tension that has to do with time, and that we think sometimes there's not enough time. But yet, ironically, we tend to be chronic wasters of time. See, we go through life sometimes, and don't you say that? You, you think God has shortchanged us, and God just doesn't give enough time, and we say things, there's not enough time in the day. And we say, somebody asks us to do something, or, or we're, in a, we're in a hurry, and we say, I don't have all day, right? Well, that, that's all you have, but we say it anyway, right? I don't have all day. Yes, you do. That's all you have. But <laughs> we think that we don't have enough time. But we waste so much time. I did some calculations just last night. Just last night on my own. And it turns out this year, the next calendar year, I will waste 106 hours hitting the snooze button. Right? When I wake up in the morning with my alarm clock, 106 hours over the next calendar year, I'm going to spend snoozing, which means nothing. You're not asleep. <laughs> and you're not awake. You're just lying there wasting time. 106 hours. Now, we know other data like this, we just waste time. We think, well, there's not enough time in the day. Where did all the time go? But we waste time. We watch three and a half hours of TV per day. We know that. It's not a new stat to you. You know, it's 21 hours or more a week 
just sitting there watching TV. Now, here's this. This is a fascinating study. I did not make this up. Uh, Studies will show in the next calendar year, you, yourself, will spend more than one week of your life looking for the remote control to your TV. Okay? Right? You're going to look, you're going to waste time looking for the, the device to waste more time. And so, we, on the other hand, we tell everybody, there's not enough time in the day. Studies, this is fun, studies show 61 minutes a week, ladies, six, I'm picking on you a little bit here, 61 minutes that, that women in America tend to spend deciding what outfit to wear. That's it. You know, pink or green. And the men are like, just decide. Just put it on, right? And no, no, they're trying to decide. So we waste a lot of t- social networking. Woo! You waste any time on Twitter or Facebook. You're just at work and you're just killing time. Okay, you know what that is? You know what social networking is? You use your time to check in to see how other people are spending and thinking about their time. That's what it is. I'm going to waste my time trying to figure out what you're doing with your time. And so we waste time, but on the other hand, we think there's just not enough time in the world. And so what is it? There's, this, there's these polls about something that is so valuable, and we don't know. Are we wasting time? Or are we spending so, so we don't know. There's another tension that is revealed in the questions that we ask about time. If you want to know the truth about something, about how you deal with something, just consider the questions that you ask about that topic. What is the number one question we tend to ask about time? What, what time is it? Right? We want to know all the time, what time is it? All day long, we want to check and see well, what time is it. And we have watches, and we're going to look and see what time. In fact, you won't get through this service, I promise. You're going to look at your watch and say, how's he doing? Where is he? How's, how's he doing? We're supposed to get out of here. And you're going to want to know what, what time is it. And so we surround ourselves with all these uh, apparati to tell us what time it is. Now, here's, here's the tension. Though we're obsessed with the question of what time it is, every now and then we'll lose ourselves and think, oh, I was planting a garden and it was just so fun. I lost track of time. But very quickly we come back to reality and we want to know what time it is. Now, as odd as that is, when we ask what time is it, all that is is a reminder of the thing that is most depressing, and that is that your time is running out. So there's that tension again. Some of you have watches that have second hands. Can you imagine that? I don't know why. They just, and you can sit there and watch your life waste away. Second by second, that's one more second that you will never have. So we want to ask the question, what time is it? But it reminds us that we're running out of time. And then there's that time in life, some of you probably reached that, I have, I'm 45, where you switch from wanting to know, you know, how old you are and being obsessed with how old you are to thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know, uh, there's a finish line in this deal. And when you're little, you don't want to be eight, you want to be eight and a half. But when you're 45, you know, you want to be eight and a half, right? You want to to go back. And so there's this constant, my point is there's this constant tension. There it is again, over and over and over. There's this tension of irreconcilable poles and this tension about time because it's so valuable and we don't know what to do with it. And then the last tension before we kind of get to the meat of the scripture is that we want to control time, Right? We want to control time. We want to manage time. We want to be efficient with our time. And so we have telephones now, and we got internet, and we got faxes and emails and Twitter. We have all these things, and it's supposed to give us more time. But all it is doing is make us hurry more. And so we deceive ourselves thinking that we can somehow control time. We have all this technology when really the opposite is true, and now we're just running and running and running and running and running and running and running, and you just want the train to stop. And so all of these tensions about this thing called time, I thought uh, we should talk about time. 
Because time is a big deal in my life. Seems like I never have enough of it, then I'm worried about the other side of it. And I thought, well, maybe everyone else feels the same way. So let's talk about time. Now, here's the odd thing. Normally, when we go to talk about time management, there is a resource that we rarely consult called the Bible. And the odd thing is we will consult the Bible for so many other categories of our life. You got a question about ethics, good to consult the Bible. You got a question about morality, good to consult the Bible. Question about marriage, let's go to the scriptures, right? Uh, how do we spend our money even? Oh, let's go to the scriptures and see what they say. How do we pray? Let's go to the scriptures. What about the sacraments and baptism and communion? Let's go to the scriptures. When it comes to managing your time, I don't know about you, but I rarely think, ah, let's go to the Bible and see what it says about time. But the odd thing is there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages that inform us about how God feels about time. So for four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to try to get better at managing our time. Not by just some self-help, but by looking at what God has to say through God's scriptures about the nature of this incredibly rare commodity that we cannot buy, trade, sell, or store, and how to maybe deal with it better. And we're going to look at a guy named Moses, and this is so interesting because we're going to look at a psalm. There's a whole book called the Psalter. There's a bunch of psalms. Those are poems and songs. And normally we think of the psalms as being written by a guy named David. David wrote the psalms. But there's one of them, the 90th psalm, that Moses wrote. And you kind of know about Moses. Moses is the guy that led all the Israelites across the desert into the promised land, part of the Red Sea, running from Pharaoh. You know that part of the story, but I'm going to give you a little more context because this might help you out a little bit. When Moses was a baby, he was born Jewish. He was born a Hebrew. But you kind of know this part of the story. He was taken down to the river and left in a basket. And Pharaoh's daughter, who was an Egyptian, picked up the basket, and they began to raise Moses as an Egyptian. They don't know he's a Hebrew. They treat him as an Egyptian. They raise him as an Egyptian. He becomes like a prince in Egypt. And one day, he's like in his late 20s, he discovers, oh, I'm not Egyptian. Okay, I'm Hebrew. And then he notices that all the other Hebrews are slaves. And this is challenging to Moses, and he says, well, i got to do something about this. And so the Bible tells us uh, he kills an Egyptian. He kills an Egyptian, and then he, 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 to do something about it, and he kills another Egyptian. And then he's like, okay, this is going to take a whole long time, killing one Egyptian at a time. And the scripture doesn't say that. I'm just reading that into it. But he, he, he's got these, this dream about doing something about the Egyptians. And he, so he flees, and he is, he is owned by now a family of shepherds. And so Moses, who was born Hebrew, then became Egyptian, is now discovering his own Hebrewness, is now living with a group of shepherds. And here's the deal, and here's the part you may not know. He spends 40 years, four decades of his life as a shepherd, frustrated, thinking that life is meaningless, there is no purpose, what is the point he doesn't even care about time anymore because it doesn't matter. He just wakes up with the sheep. He goes to sleep with the sheep. If it rains, he's with the sheep. If it's sunny, he's with the sheep. All he is in the field and the pastures all day long, every single day, with the sheep for 40 years. At which point, God says, nope, I haven't forgotten you. I have a plan for you. And just when Moses thinks there is no purpose in his life, there is no meaning in his life, he discovers that God has a plan for him. Then he goes the rest of the story. He gets all the Israelites. He delivers them from slavery. Now, with all of that, 40 years of just killing time, Moses has this epiphany about this thing we call time. And he develops an amazing perspective on how God values time. 
And he writes about it in this psalm, and I just want to share with you a little bit. And his main point is this. When it comes to time, context is everything. Context is everything. You're either looking at time through your context or you're looking at it through God's. But the one you decide will fundamentally change the outlook that you have on life. Because all time falls within a context. So if you begin to view life and if you begin to view time through a different context, you might end up being better off. And Moses says the reason that everybody's confused about time and has all these irreconcilable poles intentions about what time is in their life and the role that it plays, the reason they're confused is because they don't understand the context. And so this is how he starts to write. So here we go. Uh, The 90th Psalm, verse 1. It's kind of a poem, so uh, the language is a little poetic. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. All the people that came before me, you're there. All the people that are going to come after me, you're going to be there. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you stop right there. This is all about context. He says, see, the way we think about context of time is from birth to death. We've got bookends for time. Birth and death. You're born, you live, you die. No, 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 no. Moses says there's an entirely different context. It's from everlasting to everlasting. And if you want to begin to understand time better, you need to understand these two bookends with God in the middle. Everlasting to everlasting. There's a much grander narrative that you're part of than the bookends of birth and death. you got to start with that. And if you do that, it opens up your horizon to an entirely new perspective of time. Think about it this way. When I was uh, coaching basketball, uh, conditioning was a big deal, and I was in charge of getting the players conditioned. And so you make them run, you make them run, and they would not want to run, and so they'd run, you know, you have to run 10 laps on the eighth lap, and, oh, I'm so tired. You know, they come over, and they're, thro- they're, they're tired and breathing hard, and you can imagine. And so, they're, and I can't run anymore. And then they try to lobby you because they can't physically go anymore, and they will collapse on the court and writhe around, and they can't do anything else, right? And one time, they ran a, a certain number of laps, and I wanted them to run some more, and they, 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 they just begged me, Coach, we cannot run another lap. I said, let me just ask you this. If somebody stole your wallet right now, would you go after them? Well, of course we would, coach. Okay, then get up and start running. You can run some more, right? And so it broadened the bookends. Suddenly there's a new perspective, and they could do more than they thought we were. This is what I think Moses is trying to do. He's saying, you guys have bookended it with birth and death. I'm trying to bookend it with everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. Then he goes on, he elaborates. You turn us back to dust, God. And you say, turn back, you mortals. What he's saying is, no matter how cool you are, No matter how wealthy you are, no matter what job you have, no matter what country you were born into, no matter what school you went to, no matter what role you play in life, time for you is the same. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're from America. It doesn't matter if you're from Iraq. Everybody has the same amount of time. Most of us think differently. Moses is saying, guys, this is such a rare commodity. You can only acquire it from God. And not only that, it's such a rare commodity. It's a different commodity. It's got different stipulations. You have to spend it. You've got no choice. You can't store it up. 
This is something that God has given us. It is the great equalizer in life. And while there are so many other inequities in life about time and money and opportunity and education and privilege, not so with time. We're all mortal. And we all return to dust no matter what. Now Moses goes on. It's going to start to get a little bit more positive here in just a minute. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. Or like a watch in the night. He's like, this is all has to do with context and perspective. To God, you know, a year is like a thousand years. He's trying to give you a word picture. So if your life is like 70 years, but a day is like a thousand years to God, you, you can imagine. And you're like, you know, Moses, you know, cheer us up. Give us some good news. And then Moses is like, hang in there. I'm just setting you up for the point. I haven't given you the point yet. I'm trying to establish a framework of context for you. Verse 5, you sweep them away. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. That's what a person's life is like. In the morning it's like grass. In the evening it withers and fades and eventually dies. Now here's what Moses is saying. Your life is so brief. It is so common. It is so quick in the scope of God's time. It is futile for you to try to create meaning or purpose and deal with time on your own. Unless you begin to understand it through the framework of God's viewpoint, of God's context, the only hope you have for purpose and significant is to connect it to the context of God's understanding of time. And Moses is saying, I'm I just trying to bring you down to earth here by telling you that you return to dust no matter who you are. Because you're not the point of your life. God is. And you know that because you don't want to be around people that are the point of their own life. You hate being around those kind of people, don't you? Have you ever been around people at a party or wherever and they're just the center of everything and it's all about them? You don't even want to be around them. Moses is saying, okay, most of humanity deals with time that way. They think they are the point. There's a much bigger narrative. There's a much bigger story. It's not birth to death. It's everlasting to everlasting. And then he goes on to say and to talk about God's anger. And he lifts up this passage to him and he says this, verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. And this gets a little heavy and then we're going to get to the really, really positive stuff. Then Moses, he gives us an application. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. The days of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 See, isn't that cool? Even Moses, thousands of years ago, knew that hey, the average person, maybe 70, maybe 80, depending on how strong you are, he's right there in the sweet spot. Again, trying to ground us in our context of time. The days of life are 70 or maybe 80 if you're strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. And they're soon gone, and we fly away. Our days may come to 70 if our strength endures, some of your Bibles may say. Yet everybody, even if you're strong, even if you go to 70, some days are going to be rough, some days are going to be good. Some days are going to have joy, some days are going to have sorrow. And then verse 11, this verse is very, very tough. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Now i got to explain about this real fast. Because this is this Old Testament language about wrath and rage. And you think, uh-oh, I don't want to hear about that kind of God. What I believe Moses is saying is who considers the power of God's anger. When the Bible says who considers, do you know what that means? Nobody ever considers that. Who considers not the anger of God, but the bigness of God. 
the scope of God, the magnitude of God, the everlasting nature of God. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. In other words, if we could see God as who God is, we would give God the reverence that he is due. If we could see God as who God truly is, we would give God the reverence that he's due. Now, in the context of time, what that means is if we could see God as who he is, we would give God our time. We would give God an understanding of our time. We would live out our life prioritizing our time entirely different. And then here we go. Moses nails it. This is the only truth I want you to take home today. If you didn't get any of this contextual stuff, I just hope you'll remember this. Verse 12, Moses, with all of that context, all of that framework about how big God is, so teach us to count our days. There it is. That's where you start. If you want to change the way you deal with time, if you want to reconcile all those poles between there's not enough time and there's too much time, if you want to reconcile all those and bring back to center, here's the lesson. Teach us to number our days, to count our days. Wake up with the end in mind, knowing that time as we understand it, our days are numbered. This isn't bad news. This is great news. We just forget that we know what it's like to live with numbered days. You know what it's like to live with your days counted and numbered. Have you ever been a bride? I'm telling you, you could tell people, my wedding is in 26 days, 9 hours, 7 minutes, and 4 seconds. Right? You've numbered your days. And suddenly when you've numbered your days to the day that you're going to get married, do you know what you do? You start focusing on everything that's important. Who do I need to call? What do I need to do? What needs to truly happen first? Who have I left out? When you number your days, you begin to focus and have clarity about how to use your time more wisely. You know what it's like to have your days counted, to have your days numbered. You ever been to a closing? Are you in sales and you've had a closing? You know what it's like to live with your days counted and numbered. Because the closing is going to happen here. And you know what? Between now and then, I better do this and this and make sure I've called this person. And i got all the paperwork lined up. And suddenly all that that's important and everything you've been able to put off. Now you don't have a choice. It comes in laser focused. You know what it's like to have your days numbered. You ever had a surgery? You know, before the surgery, you think, okay, doc, what do I have to do? What do I have to eat? How do I have to prepare? And everything that's important, you take care of before you go into a surgery. You know what it's like to have your days numbered. You ever played sports? You know what it's like to live with your days counted. Because you're different in the last two minutes of any ball game in any sport than you are the rest of the time. You know the game's about to run out. You know the buzzer's about to go off. So you know what? You listen to the coach a little bit more. You concentrate a little bit harder. You play a little bit a little tougher. You hustle a little bit more. You're dialed in at a level that you're just not dialed in at at the beginning of the game. Why? Because you've realized that, uh-oh, the minutes of this game are numbered. And Moses says this is the starting point. If you would just teach us, God, to number our days. You know what the implication is in teach us? We don't know how to do that on our own. So God, would you teach us? We haven't been able to do that on our own. We tend to live life without our days numbered as if we will be around forever. And we, we, we know intuitively that we won't, but that's not how we treat time. We think, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. 
I don't need to do what's important today. We think, I'm going to live the rest of my life. I don't need to honor God in this way. I don't need to take care of my family in this way. I don't need to have a sense of joy this way. These things really are worth complaining about because, you know what, I'm going to be around forever. Now, Moses says the only solution, the antidote to all the poles of tension is to live as if your days are numbered. And then he gives us the answer, the second half of the passage. He says this, teach us to number our days so that we will gain a heart of wisdom. That's why you do this. Because God, if I don't live as if my days are numbered, you know what? I'm not going to make very wise decisions. I'm going to make decisions that are frivolous. I'm going to make decisions that don't have true priorities. I'm going to make decisions that don't matter. Teach us to number our days so that I will have a wise heart. I'll make wise decisions. And I'll remember that I'm part of a much grander narrative. I'm telling you, Moses says this news is not bad. It's not depressing. It's liberating. If you would start living as if your days were numbered, because you know why? They are. Do you know how much more meaning you would get out of the time that you spend? And my hunch is you would stop obsessing about asking what time is it. And you would replace that question with this question. What am I doing with my time? How am I going to spend my time today? If I truly understand that bookends are everlasting to everlasting and I'm only going to be here for a bleep, and to me God's life is a day is like a thousand years and at the ultimate I'm pretty insignificant unless I tether myself to God's understanding of time. And to do that, the first step is to number my days. Then suddenly a day takes on a whole new meaning. Work takes on a new meaning. Relationships take on a new meaning. Health takes on a new meaning. Prayer takes on a new meaning. Everything about your life takes on a new meaning. And I am convinced it's all for the better. This is so important. The Bible loves to talk about time. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with this one truth. And I want to encourage you. And I want to try my best to teach you to number your days. And then we're going to come back over the next couple of weeks and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about very practical, specific life application of leveraging your time so that you begin to discover meaning and purpose. And you don't just waste away your life always asking, what's the point? Wouldn't you love to live your life like that? The good news is you absolutely can if you'll pay attention to what God says through his scriptures about this incredibly rare and very special gift we call time. Let's pray. Lord, we're all at different places on the pole in the spectrum of context about time. And Some of us are here today, Lord, and for us, there's just not enough time in the day, and we're rushing, rushing, rushing. And for some of us here, Lord, today, we've been waiting for something to happen in our life. We've been waiting for a relationship or a friend or a job or something, and it seems like it's never going to happen, and the days just seem like an eternity. And Lord, today we recognize those two poles. We recognize the tension that time creates for all of us. But Lord, we also celebrate the truth of your words that remind us that time is a special gift that you give each and every one of us. It is a blessing, and we are stewards of it. So help us, Lord, wherever we are on that spectrum, wherever we are, however we feel about the time in our life, help us to deal with it through the lens of your perspective Help us to stop looking at time the way we normally do and to look at it from everlasting to everlasting. And Lord, help us not to run from the truth that our days are numbered, but to lean into that truth 
so that every second becomes more meaningful. Because, Lord, we know that you promise us meaning in our life if we'll live in the way you want us to live. In your son's name we offer you this prayer. Amen.